Well, good morning, Grace. My name is Jake Barnes. I co-direct the high school ministry here at Grace. Um, and uh, I just want to say real quick before I begin, after, after I'm done preaching, we're going to have a time of worship, but then there's going to be an opportunity to pray. And I just felt compelled to say that might be a good time that if what the elders did, leading by example of unifying and repenting, um, if there's someone that you need to go and talk to um, and repent of maybe division that has been sown between the two of you, I encourage you to do that. So, but that's, that's not what my sermon is on today. Um, so we, as you know, are in a series in the book of Acts, and Acts is this really cool book about how God's spirit is getting the message of Jesus as Savior out to the world through the church. And this wasn't planned, but this, this cool thing happened where this little sub-theme of discernment of listening to God's voice has popped up over the last couple weeks. So you might remember Dr. Steve Porter spoke on, on how to discern when our frame of reference, when our lens is limited. We get some stuff right, we get some stuff wrong, so how then do we go about discerning what God might be calling us to do? And then last week, uh, Pastor Daniel Long spoke on this idea of discerning God's voice in the midst of community and for the sake of community. I don't know about you, but that message, that got me. That hit home. That was powerful. Um, and so uh, we're going to continue on in this theme of discernment today. And uh, as with any trilogy, the third installment is typically the weakest. So I don't, I don't uh, offer you anything special today. But um, So specifically, it's going to get a little personal. We're going to look at this idea of how do I discern God's voice in my life when nothing makes sense, when things don't go the way they're supposed to, when God seemingly promised or called me into something and then it just isn't working out, how do I go about discerning what God is calling me into? And so this morning, uh, we're going to spend a little time wandering and pondering with the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at this little episode that we heard read in his life where it just seems confusing what God is doing, even almost like disturbing. What are you doing? And we're going to look at how he and his traveling companions respond and kind of think, man, what would it have been like to be in that situation? And then to realize, oh, maybe actually I've been in that situation too. And then to think through how can we respond when stuff like this happens in our lives, okay? So if, uh, well, get out a Bible, whether it's print or on your phone. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today. And uh, I'm going to take us back to the year 2000 with a little laser pointer. That's a Pat Ferguson joke. I didn't come up with that myself. Um, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to have a map up behind me. And you're like, oh, no, is this a geography lesson? Well, it's not, but I think, here's the thing, is when we read this, there's all these names, and we don't know them because they're not places that we would know today. And if we just read it, it really doesn't make sense what's going on here. But I think the more we actually see their journey, the more it's like, oh, wow, this is what was going on. This is where they were walking. And I think it adds a lot. So um, I'm going to try my best to use this laser pointer and uh, wander and ponder with Paul. So just to recap, this is an exciting time in the church. 
uh, as we talked about, the message is going out that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, do not need to be circumcised to be a part of God's people. And, um, and so Paul is, he's out, he's getting this message out to the world. And we're not going to, I'm not going to preach on this today, but um, interestingly, right before what we're going to look at, Paul and his traveling companion, his dynamic duo, his partner in crime, Barnabas, they actually part ways. And uh, this, it's not a good thing. This is actually a very sad thing for the church as we're thinking about division. We don't want to be like Paul and Barnabas. But I note that because it just sets the stage that these two have, have separated over kind of a philosophy of ministry difference. And now Paul's picked up a couple different people to go on the journey with him. So there's a, a prophet named Silas and then this young believer named Timothy. And here we go. Okay, so... Paul and Silas, they meet Timothy down here, and most likely our story starts kind of up here in this Antioch region, okay? So let's jump in at verse 6. It says, and they, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Okay, pause. Don't read anymore. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So that means what they're doing is they're going from Antioch here up into this sort of region. Now, to us, that probably doesn't really mean anything. That's like, okay. But that's, it's kind of odd. And the reason it's odd is because, uh, now I'm not Paul, but if I was Paul and I was thinking, hey, I want to get a message out to the world that I want them to hear it quickly, I want it to spread everywhere, I would not be going up to this region, but I'd be going down into here. And at that time, this, that was a region known as Asia. And Asia was, it's kind of think like the LA, the New York, a place that is like prominent, a place that is just, just filled with uh, cultural importance and there's activity going on. And so if you wanted to get to the big city to get a message out, you're going to go to that area. You're going to go down into Asia, specifically Ephesus. You, I'm sure we've heard that. There's a letter written to the church there in our Bibles. Um, Ephesus was a hugely important city. And so the question is, okay, well, why are they not going in that direction? Well, verse 6 clarifies, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, this is, this is weird, right? Let's just start by saying this is not something that we're used to seeing in our Bible, where someone wants to probably go to a region to get the gospel out, the news that Jesus is Savior, he's King, and God himself says, no, I don't want you going down there. Now, we don't know what that actually means. It's kind of ambiguous. Uh, like, was this a vision? Was it like just kind of a sense that they had internally? Was there some sort of external factor? We don't know, but somehow God has made clear to them, do not go down to Asia. I'm going to say this a few times in the sermon. I am not Paul. I'm not Silas. I'm not Timothy. I wish, actually, the Bible told us what they were feeling because I'm so curious. So I'm not going to say what they're feeling because I don't know. But I can tell you what I would be feeling and maybe what you would be feeling, too, about this. And I think, honestly, I'd be, like, a little bit confused at this point. 
I'd be thinking, well, God, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on this trip. I have the gospel to present. This is gonna be awesome. The first place I'm gonna go is one of the most important cities in this area, right? Right, and then God says, no. And so if I'm Paul here, I'm probably in the very least confused. Okay, well, this would make sense to do God, but um, okay, I guess maybe, maybe you've got something else in store for me. And, and maybe that's something that you felt in your life too, where you have a plan, where it seems like, hey, I, I've, I've got a plan, whether it's you know, directly for God or just something in general, and you're like, this is gonna be great, this is well planned out, this is, this is so smart, and then somehow it just doesn't work. And, and you're left saying, okay, God, why, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense to me. Well, Paul and Silas and Timothy, being the determined guys they are, they don't just throw in the towel. So let's see where they go. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Okay, pause again. So geographically, and by the way, if, if you're watching on the live stream, sorry you can't see my laser pointer, but we're kind of at the top of the map now. So they journey from here up into this region, and then it seems like once they reach Myasia, they plan to go up into Bithynia. Now that makes sense. That seems like a good plan. The reason being, if you couldn't go down south to Asia, the, the place you'd want to go is north. And the reason being, there were more prominent cities up in this northern region. Places actually we might know of, like Nicaea, if you've heard that name. That's up in this region. And so what we see here is, is Paul doing something that makes sense. He's like, okay, well, I want to go to the place where I can get a message out. Well, God, you've closed one door. So, so we're going to go way across the map to this other place where I see this is where we need to go to get the gospel out. This makes sense. It's, it's a good strategic move. And how does God respond to their strategic move? Verse 7. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, this is just getting weird now, right? There are now two members of the Trinity that are seemingly involved in opposing this missionary trip. If I'm Paul at this point, I'm just going, what the heck, right? It's like, wait, wait, God, I, I have a plan. This makes sense. Okay, uh, you close that door. Well, I'll, I'll go up here. Maybe this is what you're wanting. And then in a very concrete way, the spirit of Jesus stops them. It's worth noting that God's guidance so far has only looked negative. So far, God has not told them what to do. He's just told them what not to do. He, he hasn't said, go here. He's just said, nope, you're not going there. And nope, you're not going there either. God has, seems like, closed the door to two places of what I can only imagine would have been very profitable for ministry. So, well, what's going on? Well, uh, let's... let's Continue on their journey. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they attempted to go down to Troas. So they come up here, 
the door is shut, and notice, they can't go north, Jesus closed that door, they can't go south, the Holy Spirit closed that door, so now either they just go home, or they go to Troas. That's kind of like the last option. And you know, this whole narrative, it takes like, what, five or six verses, I can read it in less than a minute, but it's worth noting, this was a long journey for these guys. I got my little ruler out. I, I, I'm not going to claim I'm correct on this, but I tried. As I measured it, I think that, and we don't know their exact journey, so who knows, but it looks like this was probably somewhere between like a 200 to 400 mile journey on foot. Not in a car, not in a plane. This is a journey that happens on foot. And so time-wise, this is probably something that took at least weeks, maybe a month, who knows, maybe even months. And all the while they are wondering and wondering, God, what is going on? And God closes the south path, he closes the north, and basically forces them to this place that, according to the text, doesn't seem like they had any intention of going to. And I just want to pause here and, and again, I don't know what Paul felt, I don't know what Timothy or Silas felt, but I know how I would be feeling now. Right? If I'm Paul, I'm a guy who at one point, my goal in life was to kill Christians, and then Jesus saves me, and now my goal is to make Christians. Right? My goal at one point was to tear down the church, and then Jesus saves me, and now my goal is to build the church throughout the whole world. And so if I'm Paul, man, I'm going out on this second missionary journey thinking, yes, and I've got a message that Gentiles can be included without being circumcised. We are about to see some great things happen for God's kingdom. God's been with me before. This is gonna be great. I've got Silas, I've got Timothy. Let's go. Let's go to Asia. Eh, not going there. Okay, Bithynia, eh, not going there either. And if, if I'm Paul here, if this was me, I can only imagine I would be feeling defeated and deflated. I would probably start to have questions like, am I doing something wrong here, God? Are you against me? I, you've worked through me before, but is that maybe done now? Do I need to just get out of this journey? Like, am I the problem? I cannot tell what you were doing in my life and it doesn't make sense. Maybe you've asked questions like that in your life too. The person my heart really goes out to here is Timothy. Uh, Timothy, Paul later writes letters to him, First and Second Timothy, and when we read it, we learn that he's a young guy. He's a kind of a new believer. And so I think back to my life when I, I mean, I'm still a young guy, but... When I was a new believer at five years old, um, when, but you know, times were just so much fervor, so much excitement. Oh, there goes my shoelace. <laughs> Let me tie that real quick. Thinking, God, I will do anything for you. Wherever you call me to go, I am going. No questions asked. And what we see is this, this was a costly ministry trip for Timothy to go on, right? We heard it read, verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him 
because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So he's not circumcised because of salvation or to be part of a church, but simply so that he can go into synagogues and preach the gospel and not be shut out of them. And so this is a guy who's like, I want to go on this trip. You know, I can only imagine my ministry hero, Paul, he wants me to go with him. Wow, I will do anything. I'll pay any cost to go. We're going to see great things. I know I have felt that way in my life um, before doing something I felt God called me to. And now if I'm Timothy at this point, I'm probably thinking, oh gosh, what did I sign up for? I had this vision of what this was going to look like. We were going to go into these big cities and build churches. And now we're just kind of wandering. We're here at Troas. What am I doing here? So I just wonder, in your mind, just stop and think for a second. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been forced down into Troas, so to speak? Where you thought God was guiding you and all you got were closed door after closed door, negative after negative, and then you're in a place where you're kind of like, what do you want from me? Why am I here? This was never part of the plan. I don't know, have you ever had that experience in your life? Well, thankfully, things do get better. So verse 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So finally, okay, God, you haven't made anything clear so far. You've been shutting doors. Finally, we get what you're calling us to do. I I love just looking at this passage. I love it says, uh, when Paul had seen the vision, I I guess this sounds like it happened at night, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. There's this kind of sense that they've just been waiting. God, guide us. What do you want from us? And so when they get guidance, it's like, all right, we know what we're doing. We're packing up. Let's go. And it's exciting, right? When we feel like we hear God speaking to us and calling us, that's an exciting thing if you've experienced that. That is exhilarating. That's like, all right, I'm packing my bags. Let's go. And so thankfully, this this little episode concludes on a positive note. Also, it's worth noting, quick aside, kind of weird at first. Verse 10, it says, we sought to go into Macedonia. And the reason the language switches there to first person plural um, is because Luke, the writer of Acts, has now joined this party. So now it's um, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. And so I'm not going to continue on, um, but we'll pause there for today. But if you were to continue on with this journey, you see that this launches an extremely, well, we will talk about it in future weeks, crazy but also successful missionary trip for Paul and his companions. Um, Later in this passage, Paul goes into Philippi, and he converts a woman named Lydia and starts a church there. And then later, there's this famous passage where he and Silas get arrested and beaten and thrown in jail. 
but they sing and they praise God in jail and an earthquake happens and they're freed. So you've you probably heard of that. Um, but it's also worth noting this journey doesn't necessarily get easier. There are still difficult things that happen to them on the way. But today we'll pause on this positive note. God finally gives positive guidance. Go here. But what I want us to do now for a second is to take a step back before that vision to the time where, where Paul and Silas and Timothy were just wandering and wondering, God, what are you doing? And I, I want us now to think in the remainder of our time just about our own lives. Have we felt something like that? And if so, I want to offer three things that I noticed from the text that Paul and Silas and Timothy do. And it doesn't say it like explicitly, but just kind of as I study this passage, it's like, okay, I think these, this is how these guys hung in there when nothing made sense. Um, and so three questions for you to ponder. The first question is this. Who are your traveling companions? Who are your traveling companions on your journey with Jesus? Remember back in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas part ways. And so at this point, Paul could have said, fine, I don't need anybody. I've had a lot of success in the past. I'm just going to go at this thing by myself, thank you very much, and head it out, right? But he doesn't do that. He gets uh, Silas and then Timothy and even eventually Luke to come and join him. You know, when Jesus sends out his disciples in the Gospels, does he send them out one by one? No, right? He sends them out two by two. He sends them out in pairs. And, and I think there's an important point here for the Christian life, which is that you don't follow Jesus on your own. To make it more clear, your personal walk with Jesus is not a solo project. It's a group project. This is not a life meant to be lived alone. Um, this was cool for me. Verse 10, I, I put my Greek to use this week. And uh, I was like, yes, seminary is finally paying off. This is so cool. So in verse 10, it says, when Paul had seen a vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us. In, in that word concluding in the English, um, there's not too much information in it, but in the Greek, this is a first-person plural verb. And what, what is the word, the pronoun for first-person plural? Anybody know? It's we, right? It's we. So this concluding carries the sense that we concluded that God had called us to preach. It's not that Paul has this vision and then he goes, Okay, I got it, guys. I know what we're doing. Come with me. But you get this sense that Paul wakes up from this vision. He says, guys, this is what just happened. And then together, the four of them say, well, okay, he closed the door south. He closed the door north. He kind of forced us to Troas. And look, Macedonia is right across the ocean. You had this vision. Okay, it makes sense. I think we're supposed to do this. They discerned God's voice together. Who are the people that help do that in your life? Who are the people who help you sort through closed doors, dead-end roads, 
and visions in the night? Do you have those people? And if not, my encouragement is, get them. They're here. You're in the right place. But, but don't, just, don't just be content with sitting here, but get connected. Get traveling companions. I'm talking about small groups, second hours, men's ministry, mops, embody, action company, King's Quest, Zoom groups, whatever it looks like, find traveling companions for your journey with Jesus who can help you discern what God's doing in your life. Uh, next question. Do you make space for God to move at his pace? God could have told them right at the start, hey guys, don't even bother to kind of wander around. Just go straight to Troas and then sail right across to Macedonia because that's where I'm going to call you. And that would have saved them so much walking, probably so many weeks of journeying. They could have just made a beeline straight there. But for whatever reason, God in his sovereign wisdom did not do that. He let them kind of wander around for weeks first. I think that's an important point for us to remember is that God doesn't work at our speed. I think this is true of me. I think probably this is true of all of us that we are a people who are drunk on Netflix and fast food. The motto of our life is, I want it my way, and I want it now. When I'm at home and I click to play a movie and it takes 30 seconds to load, I'm like, come on, Frontier, this isn't what I'm paying for. Make my internet work, right? I'm very upset when I have to wait like two minutes in a drive through line because I want it my way and I want it now. And I hate to break it to myself and to you, but that's not how God works. <laughs> When discerning where God is leading, do you give him time to speak? Are you aware that sometimes the first answer you get might not be the one coming from God? Or is it just, God, I need an answer, I need an answer. Okay, got it, thanks. Well, that, that might not even be from him. Are you willing to sit? Are you willing to wander around for a bit and wait for God's voice? Last question, uh, yeah, are you willing to, to wander and wonder? Again, God could have just said to them, hey, go straight to Troas. But he, he, let, he guided them instead by letting them kind of follow their logic and then closing doors in their face. He closed two doors before he opened one. Do you live under the assumption that God has to say yes to your plan? Or are you willing to listen to the no's as well? Do you just assume that every time there's a green light in life, that's God telling you to do something? Or do you actually stop at the red lights and think about it for a second? So who are your travel companions do you make space for God to move at his pace? Are you willing to wander and wonder? And I just want to close by real quick just telling a little story from my own life where some of these things kind of came together. This is not a dramatic story. It is not that cool. So many of you probably have way cooler stories than this, but I'm kind of lame, so this is the best that I got. 
when I was a senior in high school, I was completely convinced that God was calling me to go to my dream school, Biola. A quick pause, Biola is a great school. We have Biola profs here, we have Biola alumni, Biola students. I'm a Biola student and they're, they're um, seminary Talbot, so we love Biola. And I certainly loved Biola when I was a senior in high school. That was the school for me. I'd grown up my whole life in public school. I was like, finally, I'm gonna get to go to a Christian university. Uh, they had a great film program, which is what I wanted to go into. I even drove all the way from NorCal down to visit it. They had churros in the dining hall, and I was like, this is the place for me. No doubt in my mind. In fact, I was so confident that I, I applied to one other school, but it was kind of like, eh, just to do it. But no, I know God is calling me to go to Biola. And my mom, who was like my traveling companion in this college journey, she felt the same way too. This is the school for you, Jake. Well, as decision day got closer and closer, it became clearer and clearer that the money I needed to go to Biola was just not going to show up. There, there were months of like, well, this isn't it, right? You're, you're going to give a little bit more, God, right? I'm kind of waiting and, oh gosh, this is all I have. And at some point it became very clear it would be financially unwise for me to go to Biola. And so I remember in this time kind of wandering, so to speak, and processing, God, what are you calling me to do here? And I thought, well, maybe it's one of those things where God kind of calls you to step out and, no, I won't do it, step out in faith, right, and trust that he's going to catch me. He's calling me out on the water. He'll catch me. He'll provide the money at the last second. This will be great. It'll be one of those awesome God things. That's what he's calling me to do, right? Well, the more I kept thinking about it and praying about it, I started to feel unrest at this idea of going to Biola. And oddly enough, I started feeling this sense of peace about going to this one other school I had applied to. It's just this little school, you might have heard of it, Cal State Long Beach. Go Beach, anybody? Yeah, go Beach, that's right. And I kept feeling more and more peace about Cal State Long Beach. And I'll never forget this one night, youth group had finished, I was in the kitchen, probably eating donuts, that's where I was found after youth group ended. And I felt this overwhelming peace. It wasn't an audible voice, but it carried the weight of one. Go to Cal State Long Beach. That's where you are meant to go. Oh, okay. I remember going home and telling my mom, hey, I th this is what I felt tonight. She said, no, no, Biola is your dream school. We're going to make it work. Don't even worry about it. And, mom, no, no, I actually, I think God's saying this to me. So she went away and she thought about it. And she came back and said, yeah, you know what? I actually have that peace now too. I think that is what God's saying to you. And I remember clicking decline on Biola and feeling like, wow, what am I doing? Okay, God, I guess this is what you're calling me to do. It's weird to say this, but looking back almost a decade later now, I think that is where God was leading me. I'll tell you, there are a lot of people that I would not have met had I not gone to Cal State Long Beach. 
the fact that I felt called to be a pastor happened because I went to Cal State Long Beach. I don't think I would have met my wife, Ryan, if I hadn't gone to Cal State Long Beach. I don't think I would be standing here or know any of you. God is always speaking to us. Sometimes it's not the way we want him to, and sometimes it takes longer than we want it to, but he's always speaking. Are you listening? Thanks be to God. Oh.